just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I'm chatting to Carlin Reed, and we are talking about her not one, not two, but five diagnoses of Hodgkin's lymphoma. In this episode, Carlin talks us through her initial diagnosis back when she was just 14 years old and the subsequent diagnoses that followed. We also discuss the various treatments she has had, including having to find $87,000 at the beginning of 2020 to fund regular infusions of the immunotherapy Keytruda, which Carlin is currently on. We also chat about hot chips and have a few laughs along the way. I loved getting to know Carlin and I am so honoured that she decided to share her story with us today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Carlin, yeah. my big list of notes <laughs> next to me. When you emailed me and mm-hmm. you shared your story, I was actually kind of lost for words a little bit. I was yeah. a bit speechless because it's been one heck of a journey yeah. to get to today. Yeah, it's a bit of a novel to explain it all, isn't it? <laughs> I, it's, I, and I, this comes up a lot where I'm like, oh, I'm so excited that I get to chat with you and mm. learn from you and talk to you today. But I'm not excited, obviously, <laughs> that anything has happened to you. Yeah. So today we are talking about Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. a type of blood cancer that starts in the lymphatic system. Mm-hmm. Where should we start? Should we go all the way back to the beginning? Yeah, yeah You're I guess so. You're 14 years old. <laughs> yeah. You're in an art class. Yeah. And you discover a lump on your neck. Yeah. That's pretty, like, and it's so bizarre that I remember that because I feel like I just have the worst memory and I don't remember anything else. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so what I do recall is that I just came across this random like bump, I guess, on my neck slash chest area. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought, I was like, oh, that's strange. And like, didn't really think anything of it at the time. And then a couple of days later, I still noticed that it was there. And I went home and said to mum, I was like, oh, I've got this like weird lump on my neck. Like, what do you think it is? And she was like, oh, like, I don't know either. Yeah. And so we booked in to go and see my GP at the time. And she had just said that it was fluid and that it would just go down in a few weeks. And we Random. were just like, okay, obviously we weren't health professionals. We didn't know yeah. that it was to yeah. be anything else. And you're 14. Like. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, she knows best. Yeah. And then, yeah, a few weeks went by and it was still there. And I just, I don't know, I think I, in my body I knew that something just wasn't right. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like I just had this feeling of being like, I just have to get to the bottom of it. Otherwise, yep. I probably would have just been like, oh, man, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we were booked in to go back, I think, a couple of weeks later. But it was during the weekend one time, and I just woke up in this, like, big, massive hot flush. I was, okay, like, yeah. sweating, feeling really sick, had a really bad migraine. And it was just so weird for me. Like, I was young, like, mm-hmm. reasonably fit and healthy at 14. And so mum took me into after hours. And straight away, the doc- we, like, said about my lump. And the doctor on call was like, why, have you had a biopsy? Like, have you had this looked at? And we were like, no. Like, we were told that we didn't really need to. Yeah. And they were, like, shocked. And we were like, okay, well, we're not going back to that GP again. Yeah. Fired. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it might have been, like, the following day, I had gone in to get a CT scan which I'd never had before. I was very, it was very unfamiliar to us. And we like saw signs kind of around the room around like cancer and stuff. Yeah. And like, it kind of just went like in one ear and out the other, you know, like Mm -hmm. we were very naive to just like, I kind of said to mum, I was like, oh, like what if it was cancer? And she was, you know, we both kind of were just like, oh, ha ha. Like, that wouldn't be that kind of thing. Like we're being dramatic. Yeah. Surely not. (laughs) Which we both are. And then, yeah, sure enough, (laughs) it was. We came back, I think might've been the week after that GP that originally first saw us called us with the results and I think she felt pretty shit yeah (laughs) to say the least and then it all like I just remember it being so quick like there was just really no time to process anything I feel like we were just in the car straight up to Christchurch to the top ward and then straight into treatment okay they kind of would like 
um, I guess they like sat me down at the very beginning to like talk about this treatment plan and I was just like what are these words and what yeah. is this <laughs> like what is this you know like I just had no idea and not really much time to think about it I just had to kind of roll with the punches and do it. So was it your GP that actually sat you down and was like yes yeah you have Hodgkin's lymphoma yeah wow and at 14 I just was like what is that like yeah what no does idea, a 14 you know? year old think yeah when suddenly they've got cancer you just hear the word cancer and I think at that age you're so young and naive and I just was like the first thought I had was like am I going to die yeah you know like I'm 14 mm-hmm. you know had anyone in your family gone through cancer before no did you have anyone else in your life that you'd seen or did you had you seen it on TV or Yeah, in, you yeah. see it on like Shortland Street and yeah. stuff and so you just assume the worst cuz it's all very dramatic, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, no, like no experience, no kind of nothing really. We were just going into it very um yeah, not knowing what to expect. What happened at school? Can you remember how your teachers or peers reacted? Yeah, I think I had quite a, like a few weeks off just kind of in the midst of sorting everything out and what we were Mm -hmm. going to do. And I think at the time that was probably the least of our worries. But at that age, you know, you're just on the verge of going into like exams and NCEA and everything. So you're like, oh. So, yeah, I think like they handled it very well. Like they were very supportive and kind of um, kept it very close, but obviously told close friends and things because I wasn't obviously going to be at school very much. But I think once we kind of got underway with treatment, I tried to like – doing that kind of stuff was almost like my coping mechanism yeah like trying to keep those little bits of normality even if I could only go like once or twice a week or if it Mm -hmm. was for a half day that kind of thing like I would still really try just to kind of get away from it all I guess which is really important so what was the treatment that you started chemotherapy straight away yeah so I think I might have been like six rounds or six uh, yeah six Mm -hmm. rounds of chemotherapy and then the plan at that time was to then go on to have radiation, but I didn't end up having radiation after that because the chemo at that time had cured it. Okay. So how can they tell that? What kind of tests do they do to them? Just see? a whole bunch of scans. Okay. Like there's so many, um, you know, CT scans, PET scans, all that kind mm-hmm. of thing that are involved. Lots of um, needle jabbing, which I'm still not fond of needles. You'd think after 10 years I would be, but I still am like, can I please have this small needle? Yeah. (laughs) But at that time, rather than putting a line in every time, they put a porter cath line in. Um, so I had that, um, had some had, had surgery to, for them to take one lump out because okay. there were multiple, like within my body that were internal that I couldn't see. Yeah. And so they took one of those out and put this line through so that when I was to go and get hooked up to the machines and things, I could just access it through that port mm-hmm. rather than pinching me every time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that was pretty, like a, really, I think, I don't know, I feel like it quite, it matured me at such a young age going yeah. through that because you were just kind of exposed I guess to so much you see so many other kids and things in there at the same time and you're just kind of like wow and it is is nice because you're well not nice obviously you're in the (laughs) cancer ward but like you are surrounded by others that are going through similar things or other Mm -hmm. treatments and whatnot so it was like chalk was a really really cool cool space I think for younger people because it was I don't know more of like just a nice environment it wasn't like yeah the shitty holly you know like adult wards and that kind of thing <laughs> yeah it's dedicated for young people yeah so yeah were there any special things that you remember happening when you were getting chemo like I don't know coloring books <laughs> you know that sort of thing like there was always a, um like a kind of communal space I guess if you were just in like for the day rather than overnight you'd kind of just hang out in the like lounge area and then you'd always kind of like not have fights but it was, it was like first and first you've got to pick the movies that you'd watch oh, and that I kind of that. thing <laughs> yeah it was like it wasn't you know like I think when you think that you're going to be in hospital for like days on end and that kind of thing that it's mm-hmm. just going to be really morbid and boring and that kind of thing and obviously it was not ideal being stuck to a machine all day but you you know I think having that area definitely helped and made it that little bit better. Because you're only 14 Mm. when all of this is happening was the health system able to offer your family any support for all um, of this? Well, that's so long ago, I wouldn't even remember. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I did. Like, they were very because we lived in Ashburton at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's originally where I'm from, and so we obviously could only have treatment up here. So they were really good at helping out with like petrol mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing. And there wasn't really too many occasions where I'd have to stay overnight. If I did, I was always allowed mum to stay with me, or yep. she's got some family up here too that we could stay with, which is really good. Yeah, it must be a lot for your child 
world to just be going through. I know. I can't imagine. Like she is like just became my rock throughout the whole thing. But yeah, I think if I was in that position, I would definitely not be able to hold myself as together as what she did because she. I think she just had to remain strong. You know, like she's that person for me. So then, if I see her, you know, she might have thought if I was to see her upset or break down, then I'd she wouldn't want me to feel bad. Like it was my Mm -hmm. fault, kind of thing. So mums are amazing. Oh, I'd be lost without her. (laughs) Love a good mum. Yeah. (laughs) So the scans all come back clear. Yes. Yeah. And cancer has seemingly disappeared. Disappeared, yeah. Exited your life. Yeah. You carry on with school, mm-hmm. I assume. Yep. And then you're 18. Mm-hmm. What happens then? Came back again. Yay. <laughs> and it was like same sort of scenario. So I remember being in um, a PE class and we were like out practicing golf or whatever stupid exam I don't know it was not fun at all I hated it (laughs) and I was just like I don't know I think I just had this tendency to always kind of like feel around my neck and just notice if anything felt different or that kind of thing and same sort of area I think I found I like felt another lump Mm -hmm. and I think I just automatically assumed the worst I was like it's back started freaking out and like rang mum straight away and she just said okay like don't panic you know we don't know for sure we'll just go and get it checked out had some scans and whatnot and yeah came back again okay so what is that process were you already having checkups yeah yeah so I think when um you go when I went into remission you'd you kind of would have like Three monthly catch ups and then six monthly catch ups, that okay. kind of thing. So we were like monitoring it, but it, I, when I did feel it, I kind of got it in like the very early stages. Okay. But that was on the outside, like on the, you can't see obviously what's going on on the inside. And it had kind of spread all through my neck and chest, which uh, we had another, fo- once I had found that lump, we had another scan. Mm-hmm watch that showed and then yeah same sort of thing very fast process they kind of just like tell you the plan this is what you're doing and you get straight into it essentially and so was that more chemotherapy yeah more chemotherapy the same chemo as what you had tried the first time yeah I think a better mix of there's so many big large names you never know what you're really having and then off the back of that I had a bone marrow transplant okay yeah so that was an experience. Would you mind explaining <laughs> to the listeners yeah. what a bone marrow transplant is? That's a stem cell transplant. Stem cell transplant. Yeah. yeah. So at that time they were able the first option was to use my own stem cells. So before mm-hmm. any sort of treatment they would take out mine and then gave me some what they call conditioning kind of chemotherapy to pretty much just wipe out my immune system yeah. so that my uh, my cells can then come in and attack the cancer. And then, and throughout that whole process, you're pretty much just isolated to your one little room in the bone yeah. marrow transplant unit because you're just so exposed to infection and mm-hmm. getting sick, which just throws another spanner in the works. Yeah. And then, yeah, after that, they put the stem cells back through and you kind of just wait and see if any, if you have any sort of reactions and that kind of thing. It kind of just is like a blood transfusion is what it looks like. And yeah, and then you kind of just wait and see what happens you have like a bit more chemotherapy and yeah which worked like well worked but the cancer came back afterwards obviously spoiler alert um (laughs) but yeah it wasn't like they kind of I will never forget I just like hate the way that the doctors and things will relay that information like I understand they obviously have to be so brutally honest and tell you all of the risks and things but the lady that we had like sat us out and she was like so there's a risk that you'll die like you might you know there's a one in blah 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 chance and me and mum were like well we're going to be one of those three because we are going to survive you yeah. know and I think having that attitude probably drilled into me from mum is what actually just got us through because we kind yeah. of just would be like okay this is what we have to do we'll do it yeah and then continue and yeah during that experience the support was really good we were like mum was able to stay over at Ranui house which is just across the road from the hospital mm-hmm. yeah but I was at visitors and stuff but just kind of had to stay confined to that little room <laughs> because you were 18 now were you in the adult hospital or were you still treated yeah where you were last so time? before I had the transplant I was in the um adult ward mm-hmm. which being that young and yeah. around so many other older people you're just like whoa like they I feel like they really just need something in between yeah. chalk and the adult ward because it's just so like yeah wow you said that they were like quite brutally honest about some of the risks yeah what were what are the what risks are we talking about for getting the stem cell transplant because surely yeah. you know it's a 
treatment for yeah. the cancer, yeah. the cancer risks probably, uh, you know, outweigh these yeah. risks. Yeah. What were they concerned for the future at all by more going just, down this route? Yeah, more just kind of, I guess, long term effects. And they have there's like a condition, um, graft versus host disease, which can then, which then means that you're. This is probably wrong. I can't remember. I think it's like when you're they start attacking the wrong cells or something uh, like that, yes, and you yep. you kind of start to react with like mouth ulcers and all that kind of stuff, and it can get quite brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's body is obviously different and reacts differently. And we were super lucky to. I did. I kind of not like. I didn't glide through. I had like <laughs> issues and things throughout the way, but in terms of those kinds of things, we were very lucky to not experience any of that, which was good. Mm. And I think that was just um, being like so super young. Like some of the people in there, are obviously yeah. a little bit older, and they struggle a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, before treatment, and everything, I was still like playing netball and reasonably fit and healthy. So I think that definitely helped, but still not a nice experience. Yeah. <laughs> What was that experience like? Can you remember those few days or how long were you in isolation for? Um, I think even there for like a period of, I feel like it's like two to three months Yeah. There were times where I, where I was, was allowed out and I could go and stay with mum at Rainoi House, which was nice because it was just nice to get out of that hospital environment. Yeah. You sat there kind of all day and you're just like, what do I do? Yeah. Um, I think at the time we watched, we, what were we watching? I think Big Brother Australia or something was yeah. on. So every day would have our little times of like what was on the telly each day that yeah. we could watch. <laughs> But it was good. Like, mum had a job at the time where she was able to work remotely, so she was able to stay oh, with me the whole amazing. time, which was good. And then friends and family would pop in when they can, or if I didn't feel like hospital food, they'd bring me something else in, which yeah. was good. <laughs> Do you remember any of the food that you really craved during that time? Salty chips. Oh. Yeah. Loved, like, the extra, extra salt vinegar chips. Okay. Or just, like, hot chips, like fish and chip yeah. chips, all that kind of thing. And I still have that craving now. Like, yeah. I just, I just have that craving price. every yeah. day. <laughs> I don't like and I think it just came from then like because you kind of like you lose your taste buds to a degree I guess with all of the treatment mm-hmm. and so when you can taste those like real strong flavors you just crave them and you want them because you can actually taste them yeah <laughs> during this transplant and then also all the chemotherapy that you had had previously mm-hmm. did you lose your hair during this yes. yeah so I lost my hair the very first time when I was 14 and then again this time around as well mm-hmm. which was I don't know at the time you kind of think you're just well you, obviously you have no choice like it's going to yeah. fall out but you're just like I don't know it's confronting at that young age because you're still kind of like finding yourself and figuring out like you know you're playing with all these crazy different hairstyles and yeah. colors and that kind of thing and yeah. especially when you're 18 as well yeah so yeah it was like pretty I think when I, I was when I was 14 it was a lot harder I guess than the other times because it was the very first time and you kind of you're insecure you worry about what people might think or pick up if I'm wearing a wig or that kind of thing and it kind of just got to a point where you just are used to it you don't think about that anymore because it's just what you have to do wigs are really expensive yeah so expensive yeah (laughs) we were able to I think we were eligible for funding for one the first couple of times but yeah, and I like I wore one the whole way through, but at the end of the day, when you get home, God, it felt it's like taking your bra off. Yeah, <laughs> you just whip off the wig, and you're like, oh, I can breathe. <laughs> Do you remember ever embracing having a bald head, having no hair? Did you ever go out in public without a wig? No, I yeah. didn't. More so, I think just because at that age, you're just so worried about what people might think or say and so I think I'd just rather avoid it and I would only really ever I had like a little beanie that I wear around home that kind Mm -hmm. of thing but yeah otherwise the wig stayed on a lot yeah (laughs) Yeah. did many people know that you were going through this like my close close friends and family otherwise we kind of just really kept it close just to get on with it it wasn't really because we didn't want people to know or that kind of thing it just was easier to just Mm -hmm. keep it between those that are important to us or that need to know really yeah the bone marrow transplant worked at the time yeah (laughs) so they just did more tests I assume yeah found that the cancer had departed Mm -hmm. and then what happens next and then it came back again okay so round three at the moment and this time round I think I might have been I might have just turned 21 okay I think yeah So a couple of years living cancer-free, getting those regular Mm checkups, 
and then it comes back. Yeah. How did yeah. you notice it had, it had come back this time? I was just feeling like really, really run down and I would, I was flatting at the time. So I'd moved out of home and I just felt, yeah, really unwell and kind of had like what they said at the time was like a panic attack because okay. I was just so kind of like, what's going on? Why do I feel this way? And started to really freak out. And I just had like a really, really tight chest. And so yeah. I went into, my boyfriend at the time rang an ambulance and we went into hospital, had some tests and things. And then the nurse came over and just said that they'd found <gasps> some <laughs> cancer no. in my chest. Oh yeah. my God. Which was just not what I was expecting. No. Like it was just so different to the other times where I was just like, this is so weird and different. Like yeah. I just, yeah, I wasn't, I guess, mentally prepared. Well, you never are, are you? But I just wasn't prepared to hear that I was like oh again you know yeah so this is round three yep three yeah. yes three mm-hmm. oh my goodness so what <laughs> happens this time is there another treatment option that they can offer you yep so that time round, I had another um, stem cell transplant but this time round, because I'd obviously had my own previously I had we had to go down a different avenue which was having it from a donor okay um, and so the first thing that they do is kind of test your siblings to see if they're a suitable or they have the same mm-hmm. um, cells, I guess. Um, and if not, they have like a list of people that do donate. Okay. Yeah, but we were very fortunate enough that my brother was a match and so I was able to use his stem cells, which is still really hard to comprehend because I'll go and get tests and things and they'll be like, yeah, you're like 99% your brother's cells. And I'm like, yeah. that's so weird. That is so strange. <laughs> and they kind of, I said at the time, I was like, is there anything that like you can pick up from them? Like, yeah. And the only thing that I've got from him, like super thankful obviously that he was able to save my life, but I've got his bloody hay fever. <gasps> And I've never ever suffered How from rude. it. I know. I was like, thank you for saving my life, but you didn't have to give me that. <laughs> Is I, your brother younger or older than you? He's younger. Okay. Yeah. Three years between us. So yeah. But that so that was I was obviously very fortunate to be able to have him do that because it made the process a lot quicker. Yeah. So yeah, same sort of thing. Went into some conditioning chemotherapy in the bone marrow transplant ward again. And then Josh had to kind of, I think he had these injections for like a couple of weeks that kind of just like boosted his cells. Yes. And then he I came. Think it's something to do with getting some sort of blood count to yeah. an X amount of level. Yeah. yeah. You'd think after going through it this many times that I would know all the technical terms, yeah. but it kind of just still goes in one ear out the other. And so, yeah, after he had all of that, he just got hooked up to a machine for a few hours. And so they could um, essentially take those cells from mm-hmm. him. And then they hold on to them until my body's ready to take them. And then that's kind of more of a risk because it's somebody else's cells. So you have to be very cautious, I guess, that, you know, your body's in a position where it might, you know, it could react. You you might not accept them. Wow. It's an incredibly invasive procedure getting stem cell treatment. Definitely. Were there, how was your brother then afterwards? Like, were there any side effects of donating stem cells? I think they like kind of give you a like a heads up, I guess, of like what you might feel like. You might feel really tired and run down afterwards. Um, But he is just like the blokiest of blokes. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. (laughs) I'll be fine. She'll be be right. right. (laughs) Yeah, literally. And yeah, so he was, he was fine. That's amazing that he was able to do that for you. Yeah. And then I think after that, it's all a bit of a blur, really, isn't it? It kind of just all blurs into yeah. one. Was there IVF during oh, yes. all of this time? Yeah. yeah. So that was, I think, before my first transplant, when I had my own cells. I had, well, my oncologist just advised that that would probably be a smart decision. Mm-hmm. Not that I wouldn't be able to have kids, but it's just a nice safety net, I guess, if okay. you know, it was to anything was to happen, and then I had that option. So I think I'd, I must have done that when I was, like, 16. <gasps> Wow. Which you just would never think that you would obviously be no. doing that when you were 16 years old. And that was very invasive. Because yeah. you're just kind of like, what is this? You know, like you're not really, you're just kind of, you know, maturing. And you're kind of yeah. like, okay, cool. Because at, I don't know about you, but at the age of 16, you're like, being pregnant would be the worst thing to ever happen to me. I don't yes. want to be pregnant ever. And now I'm like thinking about wanting to be pregnant. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah, definitely. And so what does IVF look like? 
So it was a bit of a brutal process, to be honest. It was like injecting yourself. Well, I didn't do it because I could just never bring myself to yeah. do it. So I'd always get mum to do it or the district nurse. I think I had to come out a couple of times and do it. But yeah, from I can't really remember a lot of it, but it was just a lot of hospital visits, trying to make mm-hmm. sure that you're um, producing eggs and that kind of thing yeah. so that they can do a harvest at the end of it all. It was just like, I don't know, it's kind of like when you get a smear test, you know, like it's just uncomfortable. And so you kind of just not, well, you know that you're doing it for the right intentions, but you kind of just dread it. Yeah. (laughs) And so are your eggs just on ice somewhere? Yeah. Love that. (laughs) Do you know how many they managed to Um, get? I think like 12 or 13. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. They always try and get obviously more so that there's chances that you know if some don't work then they've got backup that kind of thing this might be a really ridiculous question and it's okay if you don't know but they do they keep them forever like what is the process i assume so yeah i'm like what you know i don't know when i'm gonna have kids so do you just hold them until i yeah i guess they would come to our point where they'd probably get in contact be like yeah hey do you still want your eggs that are just here in the freezer and you're like i've moved a dress and i've changed my phone number how are they gonna find me Yeah, but um, no, it is. No, I'm very, in H, I know. Anyway, yes, they were yeah. just fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was, I'm grateful that we were, we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't funded back then, so we did have to pay for it, but I do believe it is funded now, which okay. is really good. So it's more accessible for people to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after you do the stem cell transplant with your brother's stem mm-hmm. cells, what happened next? Did they do some more tests? Was cancer gone? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was gone for. It might have been a couple of years and then and in between that time I had moved to Auckland for mm-hmm. a job and then I think I was there for like three to four months and had some more tests and there was some more Hodgkin's lymphoma. <laughs> and so during this time when you moved to Auckland, are you feeling 100%? Yeah, I felt okay. so good. I was excited. I was like, great, I've got this new opportunity. I'm moving cities, mm-hmm. like meeting new people and kind of giving my job everything because I was just yeah. so um, stoked with it at the time and then yeah I had just moved in with some new people that I like didn't really know that well yeah I knew a couple of people up there just through working with them down in Christchurch but yeah no no family no like super close friends or anything so it was kind of scary I just was like what do I do who do I talk to you know like I can pick up the phone obviously and call mum but she's not here she's always been there yeah Mm. and when you transferred cities and you mm-hmm. moved up to Auckland did you transfer your hospital care because you were still I assume getting these checkups yeah. every so often yeah did you transfer that to the Auckland hospital yeah yeah so they just um, assigned me a oncologist up there mm-hmm. or it might have been a hematologist at the time um, and yeah I just had regular checkups with them okay mm-hmm. and it was on a regular routine scan that they found yeah Hodgkin's lymphoma mm-hmm how are you feeling when this is the fourth time? I know. I kind of like, sounds so silly, but in my head I was like, okay, things come in threes, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> of course, the rule of three, yeah. Yeah, I was like, we're good. And then, I don't know, it was mixed emotions really because I was just like, how long is this going to happen? You yeah. know, like it kind of almost seemed like it would come back every two to three years. I'd be in a really good place, feeling really good. And then it's just like, just kidding, I'm back. Do they know why <laughs> cancer comes back? Nah. Yeah. No. Which is, you know, like if it was something that I, you know, if I was doing, I'd be like, right, I'll stop doing that. Yeah, if they were like, don't eat purple food. Yeah. They're like, sure, I won't do that. <laughs> Easy. But I think it's obviously a bit more complicated than that. Yeah. And so you're now under the care of an Auckland oncologist. Mm-hmm. What do they suggest that you go down treatment-wise? Yeah, so options were quite limited, I guess, because we've obviously tried the first protocol options that would usually be. Mm-hmm. And he kind of did some research and looked into radiation, as I hadn't okay. um, done that before. Because you were supposed to get radiation yeah. at the beginning, yeah. Yeah, but didn't need to. And so, yeah, we gave that a go, which, out of everything, was actually, like, quite easy, I guess, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. My flatmate at the time, who became one of my best friends, was, like, super, super handy and helpful. Okay. And she'd come with me every like to every appointment, which is really, really good. She kind of became my rock through all of that, which was nice. And I would just have to 
go in every morning before work for like 10 15 minutes wow. and get zapped and then off to work wow <laughs> yeah does radiation give you any side effects you have to be quite like you're very sensitive to the sunlight so you kind okay. of have to keep the area which for me was my chest and neck covered and just kind of out of direct sunlight as much as possible but you, yeah they kind of this is when I got my first tattoo actually <gasps> was when I started to have radiation they have to kind of tattoo four um yep. little dots on you where they like to line up the lasers each time you go in and I remember thinking like oh I didn't expect this to be my first yeah. tattoo <laughs> and so I just have these little four dots two on my chest and then one on like each of my shoulders yeah yeah so you would just go in you kind of had like a mold that was molded to your face and mm-hmm. area where they were treating and then they'd, yeah, line up the lasers. You'd, I think I would lie there for, yeah, like 10, 15-ish minutes. Yeah. And then off I would go. Wow. It's incredible that we have this technology and yeah. science to be able to do this. Yeah. And so I think I did that for three weeks straight. And what good. is radiation doing when it's targeting these laser beams? <laughs> I don't know. For lack of a better word. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, is this like like melting away the, the tumors? Yeah. I don't know. I should know, but I can't remember. <laughs> but it was hoping, hope we were hopeful that yeah. this would work. Well, within the first week, the lumps that were that had become visible had already shrunk down. Oh, so that was amazing. really good. Yeah. yeah. And so three weeks of radiation pass. Mm-hmm. Do they do some more tests? Yeah. So I just kind of stay on routine, bloods and scans and that kind of thing, which is really good. I got along really well with the haematologist up there and he was quite invested, I guess, in my yeah. case just because it was quite, what well, is quite unique. Yeah. And he, yeah, had always check in, that kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. I remember the day that he was like, you know what, you're doing really well. Let's push these out to six monthly. Okay. And that was a dream because you were yeah. like, wow, okay, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and so all of this is happening when you've moved to a new city and you're doing your dream job, yeah. having an amazing time mm-hmm. and going through all of this. Yeah. What was your support network like during yeah. all of this? How did you actually manage this? Because I'm you know, only able to imagine and put myself there. And it sounds like an incredibly stressful and traumatic time. Yeah, it was definitely um, different, I guess, compared to the previous times because, yeah, like you say, new environment, new city, new people. But, yeah, I kind of just, I think because I moved there for work, that's kind of like what I just put all my energy into. Like it was right, okay, yes, I have to have this treatment. That's fine. I can go and do that. And I would just like work it into my schedule you know like I'm like okay it's like you go to the gym you know you do it in the morning then you go to work I was like okay we'll go to the hospital have radiation and then go to work and I think just as I mentioned earlier just keeping that those little bits of normality Mm -hmm. was really good to just help me get through you don't really feel like you have to sacrifice anything because you're able to continue doing those things that you know everyone else your age is doing yeah Mm. As this is the fourth time that the Hodgkin's lymphoma has come back, Mm -hmm. I was reading online that there's, you know, all of these symptoms that come with Hodgkin's lymphoma, like the swelling of the lymph nodes, which you obviously had, Mm -hmm. fatigue, fever, night sweats, weight loss, severe itching, Mm -hmm. which is super interesting. Yeah, that's a real thing. (laughs) And increased sensitivity to alcohol. Ah. I didn't actually see that the last time I did research on Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. I saw that on the Mayo Clinic website, so that's interesting. Yeah. During this time when you're 20, 20... three-ish yeah yeah. Yeah. and you're living in Auckland what were the symptoms um the itching okay yeah itching of the chest and I just I'd get like very mild eczema and that's been something that's actually been consistent is that it'll kind of like flare up in my in between my elbow each time which is interesting but yeah I would just like always have a really itchy chest and I was just like you know like what is it like the washing powder or like anything like that am I reacting to something but yeah the itching the night sweats were gross yeah <laughs> you just you'd kind of get sick of waking up every morning and having to wash your sheets every day but yeah it is just uncontrollable you know like mm-hmm. you can't do anything about it you just kind of have you know like and if that is it was obviously uncomfortable and gross at the time but if that's the kind of price you have to pay to you know get yeah. through this or have that treatment then you just do it and so when you then do a treatment, were those symptoms going away? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of more in those weeks leading up to having treatment because it was a bit more of a um, period where I they were just kind of working out plans and that kind of thing. And because it was, wasn't was super 
spread throughout my body. It was quite contained to a certain area. They were, you know, they, we had time to yeah. kind of do all that kind of thing. And but, but yeah, that week prior to starting treatment, the night sweats are probably like every night. <laughs> yeah, wow. Mm. So for whatever reason, you actually move back to Christchurch mm-hmm. and something happens. Yes. Again, <laughs> for the fifth time. So I moved back for a new job and because my partner was living down here. And yeah, I think I was like three months into this new job and I'd had just a routine scan and like I hadn't kind of, I had kind of felt like my glands just felt swollen, like not necessarily a lump, but just felt swollen. And I had like just signed up to a new GP down here and she like wasn't too familiar with my case, obviously, because I was new to going to see her, but she kind of read through my notes and things and she was like oh like judging by your symptoms I don't think it's anything too much to worry about you know we'll book you in for a chest x-ray just in case which I did and blood tests and whatnot she said that was fine but I just had this like gut feeling okay yeah. I was like I just know that she's missed something or you know yeah. and so we my hematologist that I had before moving to Auckland we got back in contact with her and said that I'd moved back down here now and yeah my records must have been in the process of being changed over, that kind of thing. And she said, okay, come in, like, let's just have a chat and do another CT scan. And then, yeah, she told us that it was back again. <laughs> I know that I've only met you in person t- literally today, yeah. but I'm so proud of you for yeah. trusting your gut feeling because yeah. I think it would have been so easy to mm-hmm. have just gone – you know, or we'll, I'll think positive. Maybe yeah. I'm just... And I tried to. For, I was like, yeah. no, Carlin, you don't need to overthink this, you know. She's yeah. the medical professional and she's told you that everything's okay. Yeah. But I just, yeah, had this gut feeling and I just knew. I was just like, I just have to, you know, even just for reassurance and peace of mind. Like, mm-hmm. I think given everything that I have had to go through, I just have adapted this worry, you know. Like, yeah. I just automatically assume the worst because you do, you know. Like, you just kind of, you have to prepare yourself, I guess, for the worst and just hope for the best in yeah. those scenarios. And I think when you suddenly become the statistic that yeah. is, like, the percentage of yeah. the minority that's like, well, <laughs> you know, one in a billion people, yeah. this will happen to when yeah. you become that one in yeah. a billion. You're like, okay, that's me now. <laughs> you're like, well, this is not without the realm of possibility. Like, yeah. this could happen to me. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking just then, you know, how incredible that these routine scans are happening, yeah. right? Because a lot of them are, is what picked it up mm-hmm. for the too many times that you have yeah. relapsed. Yeah. It's incredible that they do offer that. It's mm-hmm. really amazing. Yeah, for sure. And it shows the importance of that. Oh, absolutely. So you see your old hematologist mm-hmm. back in Christchurch. Yep. They find Hodgkin's lymphoma again. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Because I'm sure that, what was it, 14 rounds of chemotherapy, radiation, mm-hmm. two stem two cell stem transplants. Cell. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, is, what, what, what do they suggest? Yeah, well, at the time they just had nothing, which was so scary because you're just kind of like, we're coming to you for advice, you know, like, we don't know, like, you are the doctor, you tell us what to do. And we had just exhausted every public option that there was. Okay. And so she kind of was like, oh, I might put you in touch with radiation again, because that seemed to work quite well. And then they would ring me. We were like, just on the brink of lockdown too. And I was like, of course. What on earth? Yeah. I was like, okay, great. We'll just add this to the mix. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it might've been like a couple of days in, like, I just found out and, had gone into work to then tell my new manager and I was like shit you know like yeah I don't these people don't really know my history I'm gonna have to like tell them like which, which was fine like she was super understanding and she's become a really great friend but you just kind of you know like it's never nice to tell people that yeah. whole story because you're like I'm gonna have to sit here for an hour now and tell you yeah, everything really. else <laughs> um now but, you can direct them to this podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was yeah, I kind of just was like, okay, again, we're yeah. doing this. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think it was like a day maybe before we were going to lockdown, the radiation people gave me a call and just said, look, I don't think we're the right people for you to help, oh. you know, help with this. It will not be a cure. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, Wait, so what? what do I do? Who do yeah. I talk to? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, And they suggested that we... Uh, try St George's and go private and okay. we were just like okay obviously knowing that it's going to come with a hefty price tag that makes me so oh, grumpy that yeah. it's like literally private mm-hmm. or 
palliative care. Yeah, like, and that's literally what we were told. We kind of just said that they, my old hematologist said to us, she was like, look, if you can't go privately, then you are looking at palliative care. Which like, just blows my mind. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so you're telling a 25-year-old at the time yeah. that if she can't afford to go privately, then she's just going to be left to die. Which, <laughs> Which no one should ever have to hear. No. And I kind of like, it, it sounds horrible, and it was, but I think I just, you know, it, within me, I was just like, well, that's not an option. Like, yeah. we just have to try. And mum wasn't having a bar of it either. She yeah, was like, okay, we're going private. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so what happens at St. George's Hospital? So we, it was locked in at the time, so we had to do it all via Zoom. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, how does cancer work yeah. when you're in lockdown? <laughs> so we had the Zoom call with my now oncologist, who was actually one of my oncologists at the time when I was very first diagnosed. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Amazing. that was kind of really cool how that, not really cool, but that was nice yeah. how it all kind of intertwined. And then, yeah, so he was telling us about this treatment called Keytruda slash immunotherapy, which is relatively new to New Zealand. It is government approved but unfunded. Yeah. So he kind of just ran us through around what it entailed, what the price was, which was very expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it like it sounded, and it is, like really good. Like There's hardly any side effects, for me personally anyway. Yeah. Um, the main one is really for anyone is fatigue yeah. with the more and more that you have. And he just kind of recommended that we give it a go, like it is really our only option. Yeah. And the cost, I think, to have what – I think you have to have – nine you have to pay for nine and then the rest become free you just have oh. to pay for the costs at st george's like the administration okay. fee oh that's amazing so for nine i think we had to raise like eighty seven thousand dollars wow and that is just not what a 25 year old has in the bank yeah <laughs> and i was like okay shit like this might actually be a block on the road you know like we don't have that kind of money mum doesn't have that kind of money i'm not going to yeah. ask her to fork that out and do that and so her and my auntie suggested that we started to give a little page okay which I was very hesitant to just because I am quite stubborn and quite like uh, you know like we're also in the middle of like in lockdown people yeah. are losing their jobs and that kind of thing yeah. like we're not gonna get ten dollars let alone eighty seven thousand dollars and so we kind of like gave it a well I just kind of sat on it for a couple of days knowing that that was really our only option yeah. we kind of just had to do it and so my auntie set it up and then, yeah, like, I just kind of was like, I was out for a walk at the time, and I was like, just do it while I'm not looking at my phone, because yeah. I just don't, like, I'm just too scared. Because <laughs> I guess not actually, not everyone knew no. that you were even going through this. Yeah, let alone, like, they might have known little bits and pieces, yeah. but not the whole story, and then for to just put that out into social media or to yeah. out to the world, you're just kind of like, okay, we're doing this. And you just kind of, I don't know, I guess you just have so many thoughts of, like, all the what-ifs and... yeah. That kind of thing, and I just kind of had to let it go and be like, look, if you you need to have this treatment, so yeah. you're just going to have to do this. And so, yeah, I was out for a walk at the time when the page went live and got back and was just like, okay. And then it just became addictive. I'd want to check it all the yeah. time. <laughs> I'm like, refresh, refresh. And it was honestly, like, incredible just watching the donations flourish. And yeah. it was like the messages of support and everything. Like, it was very overwhelming because mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, we're doing this. And there were, were there donations from people that you didn't even know? Yeah, complete oh. strangers, which is bizarre. And it's just like, you know, like, you don't even know me. And yeah. you can spare $10 or you can spare $50, you know. It was yeah. so, so cool. And then, yeah, we were very lucky it reached so many people. And with my old job, they were able to promote it on the radio and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So we got lots of attention through that. And, yeah, it was just like I remember I'd go – I went back home to Ashburton to sit with mum one night and we would just sit there refreshing, (laughs) refreshing. And one night it was like on the brink of (gasps) $40,000. And we were, it was like 39 something something. Yeah. And then, and I think my partner's sister knew that we were watching. So she just topped it up for oh. us so that we could go to bed with it on a rounded number. Yeah. But yeah, it was incredible. Like I just did not even expect to get a hundred dollars, let yeah. alone what we did. And I am just like so super grateful that we were able to do that and have access to raise that much money and yeah. that kind of thing. So that was a process and an experience. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, from there we were able to, I think I we must have started fundraising like mid 
slash towards the end of April and I was in having treatment like mid-May. Wow. Yeah, which was also still in lockdown. So I it was very like a very surreal yeah. experience. So Keytruda is an infusion. Yes. How yeah. often are you getting these or were you getting these infusions? So at the start it was once every three weeks. Okay. Um, and that was probably up until maybe the start of this year. Um, and now it's spaced out to every once every six weeks. Okay. Mm. And how many infusions have you had now? I think I've had like sixteen. Okay. Yeah, I was only supposed to, well not supposed to but we were gonna we had nine mm-hmm. and then the plan was to do a scan and to just kind of go from there and within the first two the visible lumps had gone down oh, which was really good amazing um and yeah scans have shown that there's nothing there at the moment so okay. technically cancer free. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Which is good. But yeah, I'm still just going to continue on with it until about April next year. Okay. So that will have been almost a year on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of research into Keytruda and Mm -hmm. it is so interesting. In the immune system, there's, you know, A, B, T Mm. cells or whatever. Yeah. And the T cells go and attack, like, they should go out and fight off cancer. Yeah. So, like, people might have cancer and the T-cells do their job mm. and then cancer goes away yeah. and it doesn't become a thing. Mm-hmm. But so sometimes cancer can flick the PD-1... Is it PD? It is PD. PD-1 <laughs> pathway. Mm-hmm. And they can, like, flick this little switch and they cancer becomes invisible. So yeah. the T-cells can't see it. I watched an amazing video on this. <laughs> and the T-cells can't see it. So the cancer can then multiply and grow into being a little shit, like mm-hmm. we know that it can be. And so Keytruda stops the PD-1 pathway. Yeah. So the cancer can't flick this light switch mm-hmm. and become invisible. So the T-cells can hopefully attack and okay. eat yeah. and kill off yeah. the cancer. Yeah. So incredible. incredible. And it's very, it's quite, um, it's used for multiple different cancers. Yeah. So it's funded for melanoma. Oh, okay. So it is funded in yes, New Zealand. just for, for melanoma. melanoma. Right. Yeah. And then it has been used for like lung cancer and that kind of thing. And I think because it's not funded at the moment, I think, well, multiple reasons probably why. And it makes my blood boil that it's yeah. so hard to access for people. But that's another story for another day. (laughs) And that, yeah, but it is like relatively new and it's had good results. There's just not enough research, I guess, especially within my case, that it will, you know, cure it. It has obviously for now and I'm still able to stay on it and we don't know if what would happen if I was to come off it. But because I am able to live, you know, my normal life and kind of just pop in when I need to, it's... You know, I would rather stay on it if I have to and yeah. then just go about it like that. It's that catch-22 thing of, like, not being enough research, but perhaps because it's so inaccessible, mm-hmm. no one's on it to yeah. get the research, yeah. you know? I think it's just a bit of everything, really. I think New Zealand's maybe just a little bit behind. Like, it's, um, I think it is funded for most cancers in Australia. Right. If not, it's only, like, $40 an infusion kind of thing. Wow. But I don't know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, if there's other people that are having the same sort of treatment or that kind of thing, that, the, you know, the more awareness that it gets, the more likely it might become funded for others as well. So it's definitely working for yeah. you then, which is just fantastic. Yeah. Are there any side effects on infusion day? No, not really. Amazing. They just say that the more that you have, the more fatigued you become, which I do have but you'd mm-hmm. never know if it's just down to general life or yeah. if it is treatment you know it probably makes it a little bit worse it, ha- it probably does knock me a little bit I've ever since going on treatment I've had to start having b12 injections just okay. to kind of help with energy levels and that kind of thing and just try other avenues like just recently got into like kinesiology and that okay. kind of thing and just trying to keep my body I guess is in a good as good conditions it can be have found a newfound love in reformer pilates which has been Amazing. really good and are you still at that job that you moved back to Christchurch yes. for? so you were yep. able to keep your job throughout all of this yep. amazing yeah they've been really good and I if I you know when I do have treatment they're more than happy for me to take time to just go have treatment and then just go chill at home for the rest yep. of the day and that kind of thing throughout these five relapses of mm-hmm. Hodgkin's lymphoma have you ever sat and just gone why is this happening to me? Yeah. Literally every time I'm like, what have I ever done to piss someone off that badly yeah. that I just have to go through with this? But I think, I don't know, it probably stems from multiple reasons and things that have happened, but I think I've just always, the first time it happened, it was almost kind of like, 
it just had you know you just went through it at that age it was yeah. like if you were go get your driver's license or something you'd just be like okay like we'll go through it get done with it and then move on mm-hmm. and then I think it came out the second time and I was just like okay like we'll do it again we'll get through it and continue and then I think by the third time I was just like okay what's going on yeah <laughs> And then, you you know, like you just try and start to then make lifestyle changes, like you change your diets and all that kind of thing to just try and try anything to help, you know, yeah. like I think I'm just at that point now where I know I can't stay on immunotherapy forever. So I do have to explore those more natural options okay. or other kind of things that might may help prevent it from coming back or just to help my body, I guess, be as healthy as it can be. Yeah. Mm. What would you say to anyone who might have just been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma or, like you, has it's come back? Mm-hmm. Is there anything, any piece of advice or a hot tip or <laughs> a piece of reassurance maybe that you would say to them? Um, I think I would just say to just keep going like your body is so much is like capable of so much more than what you think Mm -hmm. and if you can just find those little things that get you through if it's you know still making time to catch up with your friends or if it is going to work or if it is exercise anything like that just keep doing those things like I think my biggest thing is that I was just adamant that I would not let this cancer define me like I just sometimes I wouldn't even say the word I'd just be like oh yeah I'm sick you know and I just think that yeah it was a part it is a part huge part of my life and it's probably shaped me into the person that I am today, but I still just think that, you know, it's, I still am Carlin. I'm not, yeah. I don't want to be like Carlin that has cancer, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think just find those little things and yeah, just trust the process, trust your body and yeah. And go and get a scuba hot chip. Yeah. <laughs> get some real salty salt and get chips. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, is there any discussion over what might happen in April? So do they think infusions can't continue past April or will they reassess in April? They'll just reassess in April. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really too sure if that's a period will then I'll come off it and we'll see what happens or if we yeah. will just continue. It's kind of hard because there obviously is no cancer currently, so there's nothing to measure anything to. Yeah. But the Katruda has done what we've wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. Whether or not me staying on it is just keeping it at bay or if I do come off it, you know, it's just I think a thing we'll have to assess at the time that we do that in April which it's probably going to be here quicker than we know it because it's already July (laughs) I know the year is going so fast yeah thank you so much for sharing your story with me yeah I feel like I've just talked at you the whole time no (laughs) it's one heck of a story isn't Mm, it yeah it is but I think it's just uh, I guess a the way that I see it is I think it's just so important to talk about it and to normalize it somehow like it shouldn't be a taboo subject or something that you avoid talking about you know like it is so much more common than what you think Mm -hmm. and I think just talking about it actually you know might even make you feel better you know like you don't feel like you're holding it so close to you that you can't talk about it or that you shouldn't talk about it yeah Mm. thank you so much no worries thanks for having me And I think that's our cue to go and get ourselves a scoop of hot chips or whatever food you fancy. I might get a pizza, actually, and make the most of the rest of the day. If you would like to find out more about Keytruder or anything that we discussed in today's episode, or you have no idea what hot chips even are, side note, they're fries, make sure you head to the show notes or reach out over on Instagram. I'm at That's So Chronic. If you enjoyed this episode or have been enjoying That So Chronic so far, make sure you've pressed subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and why not share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it as well? That really helps interviews like this reach more people around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope.